Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's only one word that matters in business in the early days, and that is the word survival. Whilst you're alive, throw yourself 100% into whatever you do and make the best of this wonderful life that we all lead. Hello and welcome to the Voom podcast with me, Nikki Beatty, the show where we put entrepreneurial spirit in the spotlight with the aim to help you start up and grow. In this episode, we're opening the wallet and peering into the numbers as we take a look at two very different businesses navigating the world of finance. Plus, later in the show, we have a special guide to getting investment as we speak to Voom competition partners, Crowdfunder, who'll be running us through their top tips for a successful crowdfunding campaign. But first, a warm welcome to my guests in the studio today, two men who speak cash as their first language. I'm joined by Sasha Zakaria, CEO of Change Group, a leading foreign currency exchange company serving around 2.5 million customers a year across the world and online. Hello, Sasha. Hello. And Matthew Ford is founder and CEO of Parity, the new app aimed at helping manage personal finance by tracking spending and helping Hoping to set goals for saving. Hi, very nice to meet you both. Is that a good description of what you do? I think it's a pretty good description, yeah. Because if it is, I need your product so badly. <laughs> I really do. Anything that could help track my spending because I'm profligate and to help me save. I've never saved a penny in my whole life. I don't even have a pension. Are you going to be able to help with that? Uh, well, I hope so. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got almost 100,000 users at the moment who are really kind of actively starting to take the right steps towards saving, which is fantastic. So, hello to both of you. Gentlemen, first of all, banking, money lending, currency exchange, they are amongst the world's oldest professions. And here in the UK, the big banks are well over, I'd say, 300 years old now. So to a layman, to an outsider, the finance industry might sound at first like an impenetrable fortress. And it's controlled by the big players and there's very little room for anything else and for newbies. The reality is different, isn't it? What would you say, Sasha? I totally agree. I mean, we were a banking disruptor already back in 1992 when we started out. And we chose a very specific part of the banking sector, which was currency exchange. And people were saying to us when we first started our business, why on earth are we in this sector? I mean, the banks do it so well. What's the point of opening up a currency exchange? Where's the need for the service? And what we did was we followed the customer and the customer was telling us repeatedly they wanted a 24-7 service. They wanted to have the ability to exchange money where and when they wanted. And that's something we've been able to provide very, very successfully around the world. But this was 1992. So at that point, it, it was physical. You couldn't use your service online, presumably. Correct. The internet was, in fact, the fax machine. That was our <laughs> mechanism of uh, communication. For anybody who is perhaps born in the year 2000 and whatever, a fax machine was... No, I'm kidding. So how did Change Group actually compete with those existing players in the first years? 
The first few years were all about the service proposition. So it was all about having great customer service and having a user experience which was far in excess of what they've been receiving from banks. So that meant having friendly, open people who spoke different languages. It meant having branches which were open long hours in exactly the right location. Where were those locations? So those locations, we started out on Regent Street, was our very first small bureau, and we opened up within two weeks in Copenhagen in Denmark, where there were no currency exchange bureaus at all. And the authorities there said, what on earth are you doing? They really did question the business model. But we were able to demonstrate over a number of years that there was a clear, clear need for this and uh, to great success. Now, Matthew, you're amongst a new generation of fintech disruptors. That phrase, by the way, sounds like something out of a superhero movie to me, like it's the villainous part. Fintech disruptor. Yeah, it does. I mean, let alone 300 years of banking, we're about 300 days old. So uh, it's, it's, it's quite a difference. But no, absolutely. I mean, consumers are really wanting something new. I think that's one of the founding principles, really, uh, why Parity started, which is particularly young people, they're fed up of the way that they're uh, currently underserved. They're struggling with money. They find it complex. It's actually quite boring as well and difficult to stay on top of your finances. And the traditional old world way of doing it meant that actually that wasn't a target user group. That wasn't a target consumer at all. And and we're trying to fill the gap, really. We're trying to build a business that is focused on young people, that's focused on improvement, not decline. Um, and we're doing that in a fresh new way. So uh, quite a change, really. So you were previously involved in the platform On Trees, a yes. project sold to Money Supermarket in 2014. This new app, Parity, it's been named already. You said 300 days you've been around approximately. Uh, a longer, yeah, well, a bit longer, okay. <laughs> but you've already been in the FinTech 100. You were early stage winners at Inner Tribe. Yeah, these, are, right. these are all really good things. Yeah, I mean, uh, traction and recognition has been fantastic so far. And I, I think kind of the thing that we've done so well really is we kind of focused on the user group that needed it most from, from day one. So we started on people who are under 30, who are currently underserved, as I say, who desperately want Why are they underserved, though? Because for a large bank, they're highly unprofitable. So a large bank makes a huge amount of money from people who are taking mortgages or who are kind of taking very, very, very large loan products. Um, and actually young people who are living paycheck to paycheck, who actually need some very simple budgeting practices put in place, who actually want to put away that £5 or that £10 a week. Historically, when you're servicing very expensive branches, the amount of cost that's laid into a bank means that you just can't serve that user group. And it's so expensive to acquire customers as well that historically they've just focused actually on those that are a lot more profitable. But the way that technology is moving, app focus, so we don't have branches. We're not actually a bank either. So we think of ourselves as a marketplace bank as opposed to an actual bank, which means that we sit on top of the existing banking infrastructure. We connect to your different bank accounts. So we connect to your Barclays and your NatWest and your various different credit cards and savings accounts, which means that we can service people much smarter without actually having to have all the costs. Okay. I can hear people already questioning how safe this is. They are going to be allowing this app to access their bank account or accounts, plural. What are the risks? 
Um, so we work with uh, a very trusted partner called Yodley, who are a huge US company, work with many of the top banks in the world. So Parity doesn't store any online banking credentials. That's a risk that we certainly don't want. But I mean, we absolutely spend most of our money, most of our time focusing on intense security and intense privacy. So it's absolutely critical. But A, we work with a fantastic partner who helps secure those credentials. And B, we kind of maintain the, the top level privacy and security practices as well. So don't worry about it. Uh, there's huge benefits that outweigh kind of some of the concerns. And we really think that it's the future of banking, the, the bank that isn't a bank that runs over the top. And that everything can now come from our smartphones. Exactly. For our listeners who aren't au fait, by the way, the word fintech, what, what, what exactly is fintech and what, how does parity fit into that? So it's a term that's banded around so much. So it means financial technology, but it's such a broad encompassing term. Uh, it includes everything from the change groove, arguably, like once upon a time, because they've got a website as, as well as kind of uh, shops. Uh, absolutely, yes. We have about 100 branches globally from Australia to the US and across Europe. Uh, but obviously also a very strong online presence. And we've diversified massively into uh, pan-European ATM networks, into uh, travel money online services, delivering cash through postal services, and also uh, bank-to-bank cheaper than competitors' international payments. So So when I was in Crete last week, there are these little booths, and I think it said change on the front of it, What are the charges that somebody incurs by physically going and trying to get money from their ATM and having your company actually giving me my local currency? So ATMs are are very different from the Bureau de Chante system. So with ATMs, we deploy ATMs in airports, in seaports, in high street locations across Europe uh, and also in the United States. And those ATMs are like your traditional ones, but they also have something called dynamic currency conversion, which is some very clever technology that bypasses Visa and MasterCard and allows us to make the foreign exchange and not the international banking system. So that's a, a very nice piece of technology that we own. Now, there's another piece uh, which is around what you're asking, which mm. is the actual cash-to-cash exchange within a bureau de change. And I hate to say this, but the prices really do vary dramatically. Right. And a big input function is what you referred to earlier, actually, uh, which is the cost of customer acquisition, i.e. rent. Because the rent that you pay for a given location will have a huge determining factor on the prices that are charged. So if you go to a prime airport, you're of course going to end up paying slightly more than you will to a small back booth down a dodgy street corner. But the emphasis is on, unfortunately, the dodgy street corner. But do we actually now see that banks are just vessels today and the aggregation services like Parity are going to hold the keys to the future? I think it'd be naive to assume that Barclays is going to disappear tomorrow. But um, there are certain elements of of uh, mainstream retail banking that the banks will become the utility. And that's what we strongly believe, that certain areas that have largely been unprofitable, those areas of the banks will become the utility. They'll become the pipes. So think about the telcos of the 90s and the utilities in exactly the same way. Huge, expensive infrastructure that become the utility, if you like. And then there'll be much more consumer-orientated, smart, nimble, 
mobile focused organizations such as ourselves that that can run over the top. So I see a world where there's coexistence of both the, the traditional banks and ourselves. But, you know, our focus is on absolutely serving certain consumer segments fantastically well with the best products possible. But we know as long as we have physical money, there will always be a place in the world for those bureaux de change in bricks and mortar form, whether it's down a dirty alley or on a major high street. And people all over the world understand that feeling of turning up at an airport on their way to their holiday destination. They've forgotten to buy currency. They don't really trust their cards or they don't want to risk uh, incurring costs on their cards. So they're saved at a change group bureau in the terminal. But how much of your business has now shifted online? Do you have a measure of that, Sasha? So the amount online is... In the UK, it's quite a high proportion, simply because the UK postal infrastructure does allow for delivery of cash. Whereas in somewhere like a France or Germany or the United States even, it's actually not permitted to actually send cash through the postal system. So there you have to walk into a physical branch if you want to do a cash exchange. And obviously, if you anyone turns up in America and they've ever had to pay a taxi driver or they've had to tip a doorman or tip a bar or get into a nightclub, it's cash. I, I love the electronic world. I'm an engineer by background, but I have to say cash is still king. You turn up to Istanbul and you want to do a deal with the local carpet maker, it's cash that's going to be king. Yes, some transactions will be in an electronic format, but there is still a tremendous requirement for that. So it's about how do you drive that customer to do those transactions because our success is helping organizations such as Harrods, where we run the foreign exchange services for Harrods, we run the ATMs for Harrods. Um, How do we help them to transact with their customers? 70% of all the people in Harrods are actually from overseas. So that's just one example, and there's plenty of others uh, around the world. If you look at most high streets, if you look at um, Louis Vuitton, the customers predominantly are from overseas. So if I took my smartphone into Harrods, could I have a change app on my phone that would allow me to transact? Is there anything that I can do via an app that you are, your company's using? We're currently not using an app. There are various apps out there that um, the question is the interface. So in other words, not the interface that you have on your actual mobile phone, but at what point do you actually hand over value to the actual retailer? Like Apple Pay. So an Apple Pay, you've got a credit card system that already does that. There are prepaid cards out there that do this already. Mm. And some of them are inexpensive. Some of them are horrendous when you actually look under the bonnet and you actually see what do some of these prepaid cards charge uh, just for maintaining those accounts. It's pretty bad, actually. We've looked at this a number of times and when the moment is right, we will actually launch our own. But Well, how will it work then? I'm interested because we've got an app man sitting here in the form of Matthew. Um, What would you do? What, what, What would you want from your app? I think the most important thing when it comes to apps actually comes back to what I said about what our user experience is within Change Group, which is predominantly a multilingual service. It's there 24-7. It's easy to understand. It provides a range of relevant information. And it's something that is almost instantaneous. You're not going to join a, a long queue or wait for lots of data to arrive in and wonder, am I being overcharged for this? It's going to be slick, simple and intuitive. Slick, simple and intuitive. Would you say that parity is all those 
descriptions. I was hoping he's describing parenting. <laughs> oh, of course I. <laughs> Slick, simple, intuitive. Yeah, I, that's exactly what we're trying to do. So as I mentioned earlier, a lot of people really struggle with actually the complexity of money. So what, you know, what bills have I got coming up across all these different accounts? When's this due? When's that due? What's an APR? What's this? What's that? That is very, very complex. And actually the cognitive burden that that creates actually means that a lot of people bury their head in the sand. So the first challenge is actually to make it as simple and as slick and as intuitive as you possibly can, mm. to make something as engaging and as simple as possible so that people do want to check their money. And the first step to improving is clearly being aware of the situation that you're in. So that's kind of one of the founding principles, really, of parity. I mean, I love this. I need your app in so many ways. But... Uh, and it's a great proposition from a user's perspective. How are you going to make money out of it, though, as an entrepreneur? So at the moment, the app's completely free. Uh, the app will always remain completely free to, to download. Um, we've been going through uh, regulatory approval for the last 12 months, uh, which is a long process. So we submitted 12 months ago. We hope to hear any day, which uh, which so is very, very, very exciting. This is for the Financial Conduct Authority. Yeah, so the, so the FCA in the UK, UK regulator. Um, so we're getting a number of important permissions. The first of those is credit bureau permissions. So we'll be a regulated credit reference agency. And what that means really is that not only we provide a very simple app that people can engage with, can start to set themselves goals and start to improve. But ultimately, one of the biggest things is not just a lack of engagement in finances, but actually an exclusion from the mainstream financial sector for those who have got a very thin credit file, for instance. So if you're young, you haven't historically had a credit card, or if you haven't taken a loan, your creditworthiness in the eyes of a bureau is actually very poor. Where our view is that actually having this holistic view of a customer across all their different accounts, understanding how financially engaged they are, means that we can assess the financial health of that user in a much, much smarter way. How can you do that more than a bank can, though? Because, well, first of all, we have a cross-account view, so we can see both Barclays, NatWest, Santander, it works with all the major banks in the UK. So we have the full customer view. But most important, we also have a really high engagement rate. So your propensity to handle credit, etc., is not only based on the financial standing that you're in, but also your behaviour as well. So are you on track? Are you setting yourself savings targets? Are you able to start putting money aside? So we, we have a fantastic view of financial health that will enable us ultimately to be a contextual platform. So let's say you've got a couple of thousand pounds worth of debt, and you could save £50 a month consolidating it. We'll offer a consolidation loan to reduce that expenditure. But similarly, on the savings side, we're looking at integrating a partner at the moment who, if you've got £20 spare in a particular week, or if you've Well, they'll really give well, me a nudge and say, hey, invest this here. Exactly, exactly. That or, would really annoy me, though. Uh, not necessarily a nudge. I mean, you could set, you could either do it manually or automatic rules. So uh, the thing we're looking at at the moment is, you set yourself a target, I've underspent by £20, and sweep aside that £20 straight away into a savings account. It's a really good idea. So I'd like to know personally from both of you, was there a moment where you had that epiphany saying, I absolutely know what I'm going to do. There is a gap in the market for changing money. There is a gap in the market for somebody managing their finances all from one app. What was that personal moment for you, Sasha? personal moment for me was when I turned up before 1992, it was actually around 1990, into Copenhagen and saw that there was a complete lack of currency exchange facilities at the weekend. Uh, all the banks were closed, there was no service available, and there were tourists galore around. And it was obvious to me that, hey, there needs to be something done about this. And similar experiences in other countries around the world proved uh, just as important. So as we've gone to different countries across Europe or in the US, uh, we've 
found niches where we've gone, right, there is a really good opportunity to service underserved customers. And Matthew, when was the moment for you that you suddenly thought, I want all this in an app and I can do it? Well, interestingly, it wasn't, I want all this in an app. The app was the secondary concern. What what was the moment was seeing the consumer need. So several years ago, high to the payday loan crisis, if you like, when it was the front page of the newspapers all the time, I think it really brought into sharp focus for the country actually what a problem there was. So most people do live paycheck to paycheck. They just about scrape through to the end of the month. Uh, I've got reams of statistics out there, but 9 million people have got less than £250 in their bank account, for instance. And not having that reserve, not having that buffer, causes all sorts of problems because you've got unexpected expenses that are occurring. You've got all sorts of things that you can't necessarily plan for. And that was the thing that I really wanted to tackle, that there seems this uh, real injustice in the market that vast majority of people are not able to start saving. They're not able to start improving. And then the payday lenders are sweeping in, starting to kind of profit from their decline. So there has to be a way that, A, you can help people get through to the end of the month in a much better way. B, you can start to help people build up a buffer. And most importantly, C, you can start to then make sure that they're building their own credit worthiness and can actually start to to access the right products that they deserve longer term. You make it sound like it's a really kindly consciousness that you're working with in the world of finance. It makes it sound like you really care. Well, Absolutely. I mean, it's the founding principle of parity. Uh, it's, it's why we all do it. So it's hugely important for everybody that we recruit. We've got a real ethical kind of social mission at heart. We are a profit-making business. Not yet, but we intend to be a profit-making business. But absolutely, we want to solve a consumer need and the consumer need happens to be a really big social one here as well. Did you ever have to pitch to anyone? I've pitched to a lot of people, so yeah. Tell us, your, tell us your worst pitch first. My worst pitch? It doesn't have to have gone wrong. It just has to have been the moment that you were sweating or afraid. I think the worst ones are always the first ones. Um, but actually, I wouldn't necessarily say the worst bit is a particular pitch in itself, but is being told no many, many, many times. I think anybody that has gone through setting up a startup, trying to raise investment, you've got to be very thick-skinned because you think you've got the best idea in the world. You can do all the research in the world. You can have customers downloading your app or, or exchanging money with you. But it's very, very hard to raise finance. And being told no many times is demoralizing at first. But I think that's one of the characters of an entrepreneur. You've just got to keep on going. And, you know, we've been very, very lucky to raise money from fantastic investors. But is there a trick to being resilient and bouncing back? Sasha, have you ever had big setbacks? Of course. Anyone who's done any kind of business, whether it's a fish and chip shop or it's uh, in high technology, is going to be faced by a number of challenges. Uh, We were hit by the Christchurch earthquake a number of years ago, and we lost seven branches in that earthquake. Um, We were hit by 9-11. The Paris attacks have had a huge impact on our business. So these are the types of things that come along. In terms of a pitch that was uh, particularly memorable, I remember being 25 and being the youngest appointed um, head of financial institution in Austria. And so I sat down at this rather important bank meeting and and had these directors of Bank Austria around me. And I turned around to them at the beginning of the meeting. I said, I'm very sorry, gentlemen, but I don't really speak any German. Do you mind if we switch to English? And they turned around and looked at me and said, Ach nein, das geht doch nicht. And... Um, so which I, means which means I'm sorry that's just not going to work for us <laughs> so I had to scrabble with my schoolboy uh, German which you know I did not take at A level having decided <laughs> that <laughs> and um, I managed to 
work my way sort of as you do in and out of this basic negotiation over uh, bank access and bank fees and all of this kind of thing and got to a particular word where I just couldn't get around it. It was just not going to work. So I blurted it out in English. I don't even remember what it was. But one of the directors instantly translated it for the other into German. I thought, you absolute... <laughs> I don't say the rest of the word. Yeah. You clearly understand English. And here I am sweating my way through this thing. So actually, what that made me do was I went out, hired myself a tutor and uh, watched Eddie Murphy a hundred times in Boomerang, believe it or not. Eddie Murphy, to this day, taught me German. So I speak fluent <laughs> German as a result of Eddie Murphy. That is amazing. That has to go out That's in the boom point. tweets. That really does. Eddie Murphy, you taught Sasha Zakaria, CEO of Change Group, German. Fantastic. That's a wonderful story. Another way that many young businesses are finding investment is through crowdfunding, starting a campaign and putting a call out to the public to get them to invest in your ideas. The Voom competition, which if you don't know already, is Virgin Media Business's annual campaign, giving businesses the chance to pitch for a share of £1 million in prizes and support, is partnered with Crowdfunder, the UK's largest crowdfunding platform. We spoke to Jessica Ratti for her top tips on running a successful crowdfunding campaign. My name is Jess Ratti and I'm the head of campaigns at crowdfunder.co.uk. Crowdfunding is a really brilliant way to raise funds for your business, social enterprise, charity, sports project or even for any individual with a really brilliant idea. And what it is is you can add a project to crowdfunder, you put up a video, you put up some great rewards that are going to attract lots of different pledges and you also put up a description and then you take that page and you get it out on all your social media networks in the local newspaper, you market it, you learn what you're doing, you really understand your business and then people pledge on your project in return for those rewards and that way you raise the funds you need. The other thing to remember on crowdfunders, is we also are able to help equity crowdfunding projects. So rewards-based crowdfunding is really good for startup businesses and really good early stage ideas. Whereas equity crowdfunding is where you give away a percentage of your business in return for some funds to lots and lots of people. So at Crowdfunder, we work really closely with Crowdcube, our partners, and we can help you equity crowdfund as well. Crowdfunding's really, really rocketed in the last few years. And the reason for that is that it provides a real validation for an idea. If you're asking the crowd to back a project and you get hundreds of people or thousands of people backing that project, you've got proof that people want that idea to happen. So you can then go out to other people and unlock even more funding for your idea. So, for example, you might have a great business, you do lots of crowdfunding and you go back to the bank and say, hey guys, you might have turned me down for a loan before, but now look, I've got loads of support behind me and therefore it will unlock that funding for you. And at Crowdfunder in particular, we work with a range of councils across the UK and funding bodies that are looking for projects to put money in. And with the support of the crowd, it just means that you're so much more eligible for those funds. It's a really, really brilliant way of unlocking extra money for those brilliant ideas across the UK. And of course, it's having a massive economic impact. These projects that have had their grant funding cut or these projects that the banks aren't able to fund or even just people with really good ideas with nowhere to go can turn to the crowd. And that's why 
absolutely storming the UK and that's why we love doing what we do and people are really making their ideas a reality. So there's some really cool solid rules when you're crowdfunding and I've got a few brilliant tips. So the first is set a really realistic target. You need to know what you're going for, how much you need to raise and really understand that you've got the rewards. My second tip, set really good rewards so that when people pledge on your project, they're going to get something in return. And thirdly, you need to know who your network is, who your audience is, and how you're going to reach them on social media, via the local press, word of mouth, posters. What are you going to do to help get your project out there into the world so you can get lots of backers making your great idea happen? One of the most important parts of crowdfunding is actually knowing who's going to pledge on your project. So I'm a really big fan of going, who's my first 10% actually of my target? What time are they going to pledge? Mum, you're going to pledge at 10 o'clock. My sister, you're going to pledge at 2 o'clock. You know, so you, people really get to see the types of pledges coming on and the trust that that instills will mean other people come on a pledge and their friends will come on a pledge. And importantly, they'll also be sharing those pledges on social media. So once they've put their money into your project and they've got a reward in return, they'll then share it on Twitter and on Facebook and on LinkedIn because that's what you'll be asking them to do. It's also really important to update all of your backers, send lots of thank yous. On Crowdfunder in particular, you can send an update out which goes to everybody who's supported your project. And that means you can ask them to share it again and keep talking to them so that they keep sharing that project and keep getting the word out for you. At Crowdfunder, we've raised over £18 million in the last three years. And if you are inspired to come along and fund your business, then come over to crowdfunder.co.uk, check out the guides section. We've got funding packs, guides, loads of advice. Or find us on Twitter, at Crowdfunder UK. We're always here to help and really keen to make your ideas happen. Jessica Ratty from Crowdfunder. And if you want to find out more about crowdfunding and the Voom Crowdfunder Award, just head to vmbvoom.com. And remember, you can also follow all of the Voom competition action on Twitter by using the hashtag Voom at VM Business. You're listening to the Voom podcast and we're talking all things finance here today in the studio. I'm joined by Sasha Zakaria, CEO of Change Group Currency Exchange and Matthew Ford, the founder of Parity, the new personal finance app helping people get a better grip on their spending. Uh, do either of you have questions for each other? Do you, is there anything, Matthew, that you would like to tap up Sasha for? Well, yeah, I'm just quite interested in um, how you perceive the threat of, of some of the new players on the market. So there's a whole host. I mean, there's a flood of new startups coming into, into money transfer, money exchange. So like Revolut comes to mind, for instance. How do you view the, the new kids on the block? Do you see them as a huge threat or a flash in the pan? I think there's always going to be changes in the financial space. It's remarkable. You, know, you turn up to Lloyd's of London and you watch an institution that has been around for hundreds of years and you realise just how much has gone on and changed. And the same is happening today. You know, when I first started out in this business back in 1992, the big news on the block was automatic changing machines. And uh, in fact, the bank we had a joint venture with at one point said, your business is going to collapse within two years because we are going to automate the entire process. Funny enough, those automated systems have all died off. There are new companies coming up which are claiming to relaunch exactly the same kind of automated process that was around 25 years ago. 
Um, I won't mention them out of kindness. But, um, so uh, I think there will always be a need for new types and there will always be a customer segment that they will appeal to. And I think that's great. And I think the more competition, the better. You know, we're struggling in our own way in getting regulatory permissions for some of the things that we're doing. So, for example, we're currently launching our ATM network in Spain and we're coming up with a huge amount of red tape and bureaucracy there, which is causing a, a tremendous amount of problems for us. So where there are new entrants, where there are real assistance in pushing the market doors open, I think companies, be they fintech, be they old tech, mm. uh, are hugely important. Sasha, any questions for Matthew? Well, I was really impressed by your app. I have to say, having looked at it and having seen the types of things that you're using, I think it's a really great aspirational app. And I like the idea that you're going to be providing a range of different financial products from different service providers and that you're going to be able to hopefully get people to be saving. Because I do have happen to agree with you, this does seem to be um, a, a real issue. And the payday loan companies, which we actually looked at, we looked at purchasing a number of payday lenders. We, we do a number of M&A deals. And we looked at this segment and just walked away from it because we said to ourselves, this is not ethical, it's not responsible, mm -hmm. it's not sustainable in the long term. And so... My challenge to you, I guess, is we've also looked at the much tighter margined mm -hmm. businesses and the cost of customer acquisition, which you alluded to earlier, often is the sticking point. So we've seen great businesses out there, really cool ideas, but they're looking at customer acquisition costs of anywhere from 30 to 140 pounds per customer with revenues at a fraction of that level. And... My concern with a lot of these business models that I look at is that they seem to be taking money from private investors, putting them essentially into marketing funds. And yes, they're generating value, but unfortunately, those marketing funds only last so long and then not really mm -hmm. going further. What are you doing about your customer acquisition model? And I assume massively bringing that customer acquisition down. Yeah, I, and that is our absolute strength. So uh, a bank will pay 120, 150 pound customer acquisition costs. Various other financial institutions, as you say, are paying 30, 50, 60. Um, we pay less than two. So that is the that is the That's big difference. That means that we can really scale. It means that you aren't just throwing millions down the top of a funnel. Uh, it also shows the fact that people really want it as well. So we've been featured in the top 15, 20 of the App Store for uh, for the last six months. And there is a real natural virality to our product. It's young people who are sharing on Instagram or sharing on Facebook. We have a fantastic response that comes through social media. So we're able to acquire customers for not very much at all, which means that you can then service products that are profitable that would ordinarily not be for larger institutions. So if you were to swap businesses for a day, what advice would you give each other? Just a little nugget of advice. It can be eat a good breakfast of porridge. It can be keep your patience. Whatever it would be, what is your best advice? First of all, Sasha to Matthew. I think the biggest challenge in my business that you would face jumping into it is dealing just simply with the, the large number of countries and the, the large number of different things that come out of those different countries. So my advice at that point would simply be 
make sure that you're listening to the right people, make sure that you're, you've got a good team around you because those are the individuals who will help guide you and navigate you through the waters of all this stuff that, quite frankly, no one can know about. Uh, and therefore, that team is critical. Different working methods. So, Matthew, to Sasha, a piece of advice. I suppose that the thing that I've really learned, and if we were, if we were swapping roles really, is that problems are not solved in your office. Problems are solved outside. So we we spend hours and hours and hours interviewing, speaking to all our consumers. Of course, you need to have a very clear strategy and you know a very clear path that you're going on. But it's ultimately them that are telling us. And you know, often if you're not in exactly the same situation as your users. So uh, unfortunately, since starting Parity, I've become much more likely to require Parity. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's, the, uh, that's what happens when you run a startup. But um, you know, sometimes you are two or three steps away from the need yourself. So that's the biggest thing that I've learned. And I suppose that's the, the one thing, if we just swap roles, I would encourage is get out there, speak to as many people as possible and, and really, really get under the skin of what, the, what they need rather than what we think people need. Well, that's nearly it for this episode of the Voom podcast. One final question to you both and something we touched on at the start of the programme. The finance industry is a huge thing, one that's forever changing as technology progresses. Where do you think the most exciting opportunities are for entrepreneurs right now? And what do you see the trends in coming years are likely to be? Let me start with Matthew. I genuinely think that the biggest opportunity is the space that we're playing in, which is retail banking is about to be heavily disrupted. I think you've got some very interesting models coming in. So you've got the new neo banks, you've got the Mondos, the Atoms, the Starlings, etc., who all think that they can overthrow Barclays. I think they will find it hard. Um, and then you've got new players like, such as us who have got a very different approach, who don't believe that you're the bank. So watch this space. And I think 2016, 2017 will be an interesting 12 to 18 months where you will see really, really big fundamental consumer shifts in the main banking relationship that people have. I totally agree. I think that the entire financial industry is being shaken up. I recently saw a chart of the number of different types of startups that are currently attacking the standard business model of Wells Fargo, which is the largest US bank. And there's over 500 companies which are specifically targeting everything from regulatory compliance to interest rates to swaps to your basic banking day to day. And I think this is going to be a huge opportunity and it's not going to be just one company that succeeds. It's going to be a variety of different products that are going to be succeeding. And the question is, will the existing large players still be there or will they, rather like the Japanese companies did many years ago when they first came onto the European and the American scene in the uh, post-war industrial revolution, are they still going to be able to survive if everyone's chipping away at what is essentially their most lucrative parts of their businesses. No one's going to be chipping away at the bits that don't work. They're going to be chipping away at the bits that do work. I actually have one final question. Why do we need coins? Coins? Yeah. As in bitcoins or physical no, coins? No, <laughs> physical coins. No dark net stuff here, thank you very much. Why do we actually need coinage? So I think coinage is something that people like. I, I've got my son, for example. And he is five years old. He desperately wants to save up for a Playmobil fire engine. He's very much into fire engines. And the best price is, of course, online. It's not at the toy store. 
And so what I did was I printed out a picture of it and I said, right, you need to save £30 to get this. Now, how old is he? Five years five old? Five years old. How long is that going to take? <laughs> it's going to take him a while. <laughs> He's got some jobs to do it around the home. But the point is, he earns £1 for every one of these specific tasks that we give him. And so he's very keen to put them down. And I think it's something very easy. The speed at which you do a transaction with coinage is extremely high. Now, contactless is great. I'm all for that. And I, I, I think it's made huge inroads. And yes, over time, we probably won't need it. But right now, it still is a great, easy way of payment. And it's one that you don't have to worry about is someone like in Hong Kong. I turned up not that long ago. I got three calls from my bank saying your car's been cloned. Blah de blah de blah, and you know this is a, a new industry that we're talking about when we're talking about cashless payments, and unfortunately, it's not all running well. Well, one thing I would quickly add to that, that mm. which I which I think is so fascinating, is not to underestimate the behaviour of physically moving money. So, mm. if you take a coin out of your pocket and pay with it, there is a real action that's been taken that money has left you and has been given over. I think that's one of the really interesting behaviours that we're really playing with in a digital world of how can you replicate that? So how can you make digital spending or uh, feel feel in a similar way? So um, I, a lot of other startups are also playing with this around push notifications, around a small buzz when a transaction's occurred. And it's those types of things that I think you can translate some of the, some of the feel-good factor or some of the feel-bad factors sometimes when you're spending from the physical world into the digital world It's as well. quite primal, isn't it? Everything comes back to what we as primates respond to. Mm -hmm. This has been utterly fascinating. I cannot thank you both enough. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. A huge thank you to my guests today, Sasha Zakaria and Matthew Ford. The Voom Podcast is a Pixiu production for Virgin Media Business. And remember, to find out more about Virgin Media Business's Voom campaign, head to vmbvoom.com or on Twitter using the hashtag Voom at VMBusiness. Until next time, from me, Nikki Beatty, and the Voom Podcast team, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.